Hello and welcome to The Mirror Project. We are your hosts, Christine and Alexandra, and we are so glad you are joining us. Today we will be talking about body image and health in a two-part episode with a special guest. If you are currently dealing with body image issues, weight issues, or eating disorders, these may be triggering conversations, and we completely understand if you want to skip these. However, if you are on the road to recovering or know someone who is struggling with any of these, we invite you into the conversation where we hope to create a safe space for open discourse. Before we dive into today's topic, like, subscribe, or follow us on your preferred listening platform. Go ahead, pause, and do it now before you forget. Don't worry, we won't get started without you. We want to welcome a very special guest and our very first guest to the show. Born in the Spice Girl era, Traveris feels it's her mission to keep girl power alive. When she is not plotting how to make the world a better place for women, she enjoys reading and writing. So thank you, Traveris, for joining us, and why don't you say a brief word to our audience? Thank you for having me. In my preparation for this conversation, I've learned a lot. Things that I didn't know I was experiencing my whole life were brought to light in my research, so I'm ready to share and talk about those things with you guys. Awesome. So why don't we kick off by talking about social media and the body positivity movement? I know we each have different experiences and different opinions on that, so I'm excited to dive in. Yeah, definitely. I know with quite a few things, I think... I definitely sent to Christine and to Traveris is things that we see a lot in the social media, you know, apps and things of the fitness influencers and how aesthetic it all looks. And it kind of can be discouraging to go, Hey, these women, or I mean, or men have what we would call ideal bodies and they must spend all this time at the gym. I work a normal job. How do I do that? And sometimes it's almost like, hey, this is supposed to be inspiring, but I almost feel like discouraged to even start. So yeah, definitely. It is quite an interesting topic that we are going to dig into today. I agree too. And for me, I'm really excited because how, you know, like anything, social media, the algorithm caters to whatever you're seeing. So we each see different things. And at least for me as a plus size woman, coming into this space it's taken a a long time and it's been an interesting journey for me to accept myself in a space where you know it took a long time for me to see anyone like me yeah so I would say definitely the predominant image for white women in American culture is stick thin potentially big breasts and perfectly coiffed hair makeup despite the fact that you're supposed to have run six miles or, you know, do this really heavy workout. And so I think that's almost sometimes an unrealistic expectation to try and live up to. But Traveris, I know you wanted to bring up some different cultural perspectives. Do you want to share with us what you have seen? Yes. But before I say that, I would like to say something to a point you made about like on social media, these are supposed to be like positive images to help you get fit. And being that today is the like marks like the first week of January. My girlfriend is an avid. She loves the gym. She likes to work out. And she was telling me how they, I don't know where she saw it or someone said it, but at their gym, they have like this prompt for people who come to the gym regularly to be nice to people who are starting their, you know, everyone's like, they're going to lose weight in the new year. And, you know, the gyms are flooded in January. And she said, they said that people should be nice to the newcomers and I was like why do they have to say that like who who what would they do to the people that are coming and she was like well a lot of people that are like 
regular gym goers will be kind of like annoyed that all these people are in the gym, don't know how to use the equipment. And it kind of made me think about how like you see those TikTok girls who they're like 120 pounds stripping wet and they have like their head to toe like matching workout wear that, you know, costs $200. And then they're like a full face of makeup with earrings in. And I'm like, when I was growing up, going to the gym, you were going to sweat. You you didn't like, you didn't get ready to go to the gym and to look cute and to make videos. So I just, I think that adds a layer of intimidation. And then it adds a culture to like gym life that a lot of people are, they're not only afraid of like, oh, what if I don't lose the weight? What if I do all this work and it doesn't work? But they're also afraid of like how they're going to be seen or perceived and judged. I know for for me, I've never felt welcome in a gym space, but especially today with like the aesthetic nature of what being a gym girl or like going to the gym is supposed to look like, it's just even more unattainable in my mind. And I'm like, why would I even try? Like, I don't think I would feel welcome and it doesn't look like I would feel I would be welcome. So it's very interesting that that's just a blanket statement at the start of the year for people at the gym just being like be kind to to these new folk who are showing up but they'll be gone by march don't worry like what (laughs) well no and you make a great point Traveris, about how like going in a lot of confusion about the machines because i remember i was very lucky in college we had a mutual friend who was in physical therapy like dpt school and i would walk into the weight room and i go i mean other than the free weights you're like what the how do you use half these machines they look like alien contraptions and she was like okay well we're gonna move this here and we're gonna do this so it works this part of your body from this angle and I was like I'm so glad I'm with somebody mm-hmm. who knows how to use these machines yeah. so I can totally imagine if you're a newbie it's just like what do I do and so of course you're standing there kind of going like, how do I fix the machine what way is it supposed to go and it's so interesting that with New Year's like resolutions for like losing weight or getting healthy it's this i don't know almost extreme jump into like fitness right instead of like hey maybe my goal for the first quarter of the year or so often should be to get outside and walk fast paced so i'm not out of breath when i you know i'm doing exercise for five minutes or something why do we like jump into the extreme of i have to be lifting weights and running on the treadmill like we can find different ways to adapt to our lifestyle for sure. I also think it's disappointing, like, okay, you enter the new year with this energy and you have this enthusiasm from people who want to come to the gym and get started, but then from that point on, they don't necessarily have the support to learn how to use the equipment, know what's right for them, and unless you're going to pay a personal trainer or join a class or something, and if that's not something you can afford, I know for me it's like, well, why okay, I have this enthusiasm, I want to try, but then you you can easily get defeated and give up. And that's why there is a drop-off. That's why by March, the gym isn't as crowded as it was in January. (laughs) So I don't know what the change is, but I think the more we talk about it, hopefully something will change and we'll see. Okay, so I can go ahead and talk about the differences with body image as far as it relates to black women and white women. So I grew up in white spaces for a lot of good part of my childhood. So I was the only black child in a classroom of blonde hair, blue eyed kids. And I remember being in, I think it was fifth grade and there was a student in there. She was my friend. She was 50 pounds. And 
I was like in fifth grade. Yes. And I was like, oh, I need to be 50 pounds. And I remember telling my mom I didn't want to eat dinner or I couldn't have extra snack because in my mind, I felt like, you know, I should have been 50 pounds. And I remember my mom telling me like, hey, you're not shaped like them. You're not shaped like that. Your body is made differently and you will never be like that. So I made a decision then. I knew that my body was built different because of, or just the shape of how I was built as a person. I just wasn't going to be thin. And then as I got older, like into high school, I learned that black women and women of color were usually praised for being what they call thick. They would always say, you have the nice Coke, body, Coke bottle shape. And that was what black women were going after. They were going after the thick thighs, the skinny waist and the large buttocks because that was more physically appealing and it was just so funny because like after I got that mindset I felt like you know oh I don't have to worry about being skinny like I don't I don't have to because you know my standards are different so when I would talk to you know when I would talk to my friends who were white and they would tell me they were still struggling with that I had a roommate once that said every woman struggles with body dysmorphia at one point in time in her life and I was like that's untrue and she was like well you know I had an eating disorder in high school and I was like well that's because media has pushed that on you guys I said we don't have the same message and I said because black women are not as represented in media especially they weren't now it's been a lot more diverse but I grew up in the 90s and There was always a token, like you might see a black person, but it wasn't the standard. So I thought that body dysmorphia, body dysmorphia only affected the white community. But as I started to research, it was, I learned that disordered, disordered eating didn't only show up in the way of being too skinny or too thin. There's a lot of ways that women who are of color, they force themselves to maybe overeat and they develop eating disorders, or it's welcomed in black communities black communities to eat and eat and eat because you want to be a full-figured woman. And mm-hmm. it's the same problem, but just the opposite end of the spectrum. Now we're overeating to fit a standard, and it's just as unhealthy as undereating. Yeah, and it's, it's so interesting that you point out, like, we are trying to achieve on either end of the spectrum a standard versus really focusing on what's healthy for our individual bodies and I don't know something about that makes me extremely sad you know it's just like we we're pushing so much on ourselves without maybe really understanding the consequences of what we are doing to our own bodies not just like how we mentally affect our bodies but what we are putting in our bodies or not putting in our bodies to achieve somebody else's ideal it's interesting hearing Traveris give insight into what her experiences are. And for me, you know, growing up in the family I was raised in, when it comes to food, it was always to give comfort rather than like sitting down and dealing with emotional issues or traumas that were going on. It's like, oh, eat this, you'll feel better. And so for me, growing up and dealing with that as the struggles I was having, and I was really the only bigger girl in any year that I was in, it wasn't until high school that I had classmates who were struggling with 
eating disorders that I know of. But yeah, it just is interesting to sort of hear about everybody's experience. I would like to say something to what you just said, Christine, about like the role of food. Because I remember the scene in Mean Girls where I think Damon mm-hmm. was showing like the different tables and where you sat. And he points to the girls. He's like, girls who eat their fillings. And then at the next table, he's like, the girls who don't eat anything. And then it's like, like six girls drinking out of one can of soda. But I had um, always thought about um, like people saying food was their comfort. And I just recently, I'm reading a book about like relationships a woman has with her mother and how that can like affect everything. And it actually, it was connected. A lot of times women who have relationship bad relationships or toxic relationships with their mother they have eating they might develop eating disorders and I was wondering I was like what's the connection between that and they were saying in the book that if you think about it our mother was our first comfort and what did our mother give us she was the first person to give us food so we associate comfort with food so it it makes sense that if someone's you know having a, a bad day or having a hard time in their life that they turn to food for comfort because that is our biological first experience of love and of, of a constant form of affection. That makes a lot of sense. And when you're saying that, I'm thinking about how my mom talked about her relationship with her mother and how that was different and how I've seen disordered appear, eating appear in my mother and how she didn't want to pass that on to me, but it did in a different way, right? Like, So that's so interesting. So we've talked about the impact of cultural and social media on our body image, but what are your guys' thoughts about the body positivity movement that's kind of really gained steam, for lack of a better word, in the past few years? Because when preparing for the show, I looked up, what is the standard definition of body positivity? And so according to Wikipedia uber reliable source there so fact check it's a movement that is supposed to be one that promotes a positive view of all bodies regardless of shape skin tone gender and physical abilities which as a base statement i think that's really great but what are your guys's experiences with the body positivity movement i always thought body positivity movement which is like a bit of a farce it was kind of like one of those we're gonna slap a pretty band-aid on a deep wound and call it healed. I never really, I just, to me, it was always very superficial. I never took it seriously. I just, I thought it was just like a a gimmick or a game because I felt like in a way, body positivity was lying to people. It was saying, let's be body positive. Everyone's beautiful. Everyone's perfect. No matter if you're 400 pounds or a hundred and you're an adult, it, it was very much so a contradiction because the same internet that was telling us, hey, be positive about your body was the same internet that was pushing the images of those girls going to the gym with their high slick back Mm -hmm. ponytails and a full face of makeup. It was the same internet that was showing how women were literally dying to get surgeries to fit a certain look. So I remember one time I, I was reading something. I forgot where I was reading it. And it said Cosmopolitan is a magazine that on one page it will tell you a workout regimen, but on the next page over it'll tell you how to make cupcakes. Or like it'll it'll show you one one on one part of the magazine. They're like, yeah, lose weight. But also we have this, you know, recipe that you can, you know, it has sugar and chocolate, and you should totally make this. So it's just like women are constantly 
getting these mixed messages. So I just felt like body positivity was one of those like weak attempts of, to me, I thought it was like insecurity wrapped up in a pretty bow and it didn't solve any problems. It just, it just kind of like perpetuated. Cause if, you, if we're really on the body positivity movement, then I feel like we should change how women are seen or what's considered as beautiful. If you want to change that, you can't just say everyone's beautiful, but then have like this fine print. If you're this way, if you look like Bella Hadid or a rapper's girlfriend, you know? Yeah. It's like, well, looking at, and we we can dive into this a little more, but just to that, like, thinking about celebrities, especially those who were once plus size women in the industry who have now lost a a significant amount of weight. I think for me, it's, I was hopeful when I saw the rise of the body positivity movement, I was like, oh, finally, like, can we, f- can we begin to heal this deep wound? And for a lot of, for a lot of it, I kind of kept it at a distance. I was, I was interested to see what would happen. And I think I've so far been let down in a lot of ways. And I find myself gravitating more towards women on social media who are in the influencer realm, but who talk candidly to their following about their journey rather than the aesthetic gym girl that, you know, never has appealed to me. And that's taken a long time. It hasn't happened. I haven't found that until just this past year. So I think, Traveris, you're right. It is insecurity wrapped in a bow. And I, I just... I think the more we talk about it, hopefully the more the dialogue around it will change. I hope that it's here to stay (laughs) in some way, a little bit. Like, I want us to keep, you know, moving forward. And it's like we're, what's that quote, Alex? We're building our wings as... Oh, yeah. So we have to jump off cliffs and build our wings on the way down. Yeah, like, this is is something that is, we're going to figure it out as we go. We don't have... A playbook here or a rule book and we're figuring it out as we go well and that's made very clear by both of what you said that you know when the the body positivity movement started to rise you were starting to see more print advertisement with plus size models and i became so disillusioned with that when i had seen oh gosh i don't know who put it out but it was a model talking about the shoot she was not a plus size model she was a normal average model but they would put plus size padding on her for the shoot so that she would have that like thinner, more defined jawline. And I was like, so it's lying to us. Like Trevera said, that slapping a pretty bandaid or a pretty bow on an ugly problem. And I don't mean ugly as in the wound is ugly. I just mean like it's this festering wound. Yes, right. <laughs> but, and then, you know, conversely, so it's like, okay, love your body, love your body. But every other advertisement we see on the internet or TV was Weight Watchers slim down diets what is it the green tea extract or the green coffee like all these contradictory 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 (laughs) messaging but i know traveris we've had a couple conversations about celebrities who've who've done that shift from losing a lot of weight do you want to share some of what we talked about in the past yeah, sure. I would like to bring up like Lizzo because I feel like she's like the poster child and mascot for body positivity. And one thing that she does that I'm always like kind of side eyeing is that one thing that the body positivity movement has always done is that 
I've seen this before body positivity where a woman who's plus size or bigger or who's not the conventional thin, they'll start to make clothing for them that are typically made for women who are smaller, like a mini skirt or something with a plunging neckline. And they'll make them in a size. So these women feel like, okay, now I have this size so I can wear this dress. And it typically, I feel like it gives a one-track mind to what is sexy and what is beautiful. Like you can be Mm -hmm. a bigger or plus-size woman and dress for your body type and turn heads. But I think body positivity has shown or told women, no, you have to be half naked. No, you do. You should bare your stomach. And mm-hmm. I think Lizzo does a lot of that because it was this one time she was at an NBA basketball game. And I don't know what it was. I can't remember. It was like a leotard or something where her actual behind was exposed. Mm-hmm. And she was up. She was up. She was dancing. And she was trying to fault people for saying, hey, if we're in a body positive era, why can't I, you know, show myself in such a way? Because you're telling me all women, all sizes are sexy and beautiful. And it's just, I think it was a very, it was very telling of how she wasn't thinking along the lines of body positivity because she thought she had to fit this model of what sexy was, the half naked girl exposing herself, showing her body. And it just, to me, I felt like it did the opposite of what, and it just showed a woman who was just very insecure. And, you know, and also speaking of Lizzo, did you see, did you guys see how, I think it was last year where she was being called to the carpet because she was calling her own dancers fat and saying that they needed to lose weight and that she, you know, was disgusted by how they were looking. And I was like, this is interesting because you, you as the mascot of body positivity were saying that you loved your body. So, but you're telling someone else that they're fat. So that tells me that you have internalized fat phobia and fat shame. So that's, that's right. another mm-hmm. stark example of how celebrities, they'll show one thing to the public, but all these other behaviors are not in, align, in alignment with mm-hmm. really loving themselves. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a great segue into what we were going to talk about next, which is, I know we've already touched on, was eating disorders. So, I mean, I I think the three of us have probably seen many of them, but for those listening who aren't aware of the many variety of eating disorders that are out there, because I feel like anorexia and bulimia are the ones that are talked about most, but there's also um, orthorexia, which is an obsession with healthy eating with restrictive behaviors. And then there's binge eating disorders. And we've also talked about the impact of body dysmorphia. So not only disordered eating, but how we mentally view ourselves. And I would like to give a PSA to anyone listening that if you or someone you care about is struggling with an eating disorder, there are many resources available. And in our show notes, we'll include links to Eating Disorders Hope's webpage of resources and psychologies today's to find a therapist within the U.S. And if you are in other countries, please reach out to your local health resources. With all that said, how, I know we briefly touched on it, Traveris, but how else do eating disorders show up in uh, communities of color and how are they treated? So a statistic that I read last year and I checked on last night, it says that four out of five black women or 80% of black women are overweight. Last night I read that the average black woman weighs around 187 pounds. And this article about Health City was saying that most eating disorders usually show up 
as anorexia or bulimia in mainstream. But black women are more likely to have suffered from binge eating disorders. And a binge eating disorder is a disorder where the person will eat a large amount of food in a short amount of time and the person feels that they do not have control of what or how much they are eating. And they said black women, like we were talking about earlier, usually praise for this. That no one really catches these things because if you're saying that something like that is positive and it is encouraged, then they're usually not detected in their own community. But the way that it translates to outside of the black community, the article talks about three barriers of eating disorder care, why, why black women are least likely to get care for these things. It's the first one is racism and discrimination in the healthcare system. Number two is insufficient research on eating disorders in black women, leading to them being undiagnosed or someone misunderstanding. And then also the third reason was the underrepresentation of black care healthcare providers in the field. So a lot of times, if there's not a doctor that looks like you or may not have the same culture as you, you will be misdiagnosed or any problem that you may have, they may attribute it to something else or just mark it off. It's like, oh, you're fine. You just need to hit the gym a little bit more. And then also we were talking, it says, this quote was in the article, it says, the thin young white female stereotype of eating disorders is a form of erasure, frequently causing eating disorders to go largely unnoticed in black women. So most of the time, black women are not treated for eating disorders because black women don't know they have eating disorders until they're much mm -hmm. older or to the point to where they're now sick. And because black yeah. women develop a lot of like hypertension and uh, diabetes, and mm -hmm. that comes from a lifelong of eating poorly because they may not have access because eating healthy is not cheap. It's very expensive. You go to Whole Foods and you tell me how, how much you're going to get for $50. <laughs> so that <laughs> that can be very discouraging. <laughs> <laughs> That's very discouraging. And right. um, a lot of disorder eating is just passed down to their children because that's how they ate. Mm -hmm. And that's how they were raised. So they use their children like that. My grandmother and her sisters are wildly over obese. And my mother sat me down when I was a child. And she said, you will not look like your grandmother or her or your great aunts. She's like, you will not do that. Mm -hmm. She's like, and my mom had, like, we were a very weight conscious household. I didn't know this until I got older, but she was like kind of policing it. Kind of like, you can't eat after this time. One time in high school, I told her how much I weighed. She's like, yeah, we need to get that back down. So it was a very strict, you know, like, hey, we will not perpetuate this cycle in our house but also it had me very like afraid to get over a certain number mm -hmm. and I would restrain myself in ways so yeah that's how it you know shows up and there's not there's not any education on this for black women because they just don't think they see a, a, a old 1990s ad of a girl who you can see her ribs and she doesn't look like them so they flip on they're like well that doesn't apply to me not knowing that like we said earlier they're on the other end of the spectrum oh yeah and that brings up a really a good point right like what we see advertised to us isn't is rarely the entire story with what christine had said earlier about plus-sized women who experience anorexia but you don't look like the poster child of anorexia so you're like i oh that must not be me or i'm not sick in this way and 
I know next week's conversation, we're definitely going to jump more into like the medical side of our experiences, but it's, yeah, it's so interesting to see how this all can show up in across generations. Traveris, how has that impacted you now as an adult and like living on your own, making choices for yourself and your live experience? It's a, that's a great question. Thank you, Christine. I thought I always like to like tell myself, oh, you're past that. You're good. You're fine. And it's actually funny because after I was in the U.S. Navy, so that's another place that eating disorders and things, and I've seen people do a lot of things to lose weight because you have to because of a a physical standard. But um, once I got out of the military, I lost a lot of weight. And now I had people telling me, oh, you're too thin, you're too little, you're too small. And I gained the weight back, (laughs) and I found that out over the Christmas break. And I got on a scale, and I was like, ooh. So... I immediately started to make plans on how I was going to get the weight off. And I went back into the same cycle. I I used to think like, oh, I don't look like, you know, I'm not like the skinny white girls who, you know, have these issues, but I do. I, I I can't say that I'm exempt from any of these because I still have the the, that, that voice in the, the back of my head, whether it's media, it's my mother, it's my own standards that I've put on myself. And I did you know, come to a conclusion that I needed to start to, you know, restrict my eating. But I, this time I wanted to tell myself, let's do it in a healthy way. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's find a way that, and then also I was like, what may work for this girl on the internet may not work for you. So I found healthy ways and I, I, I tried different methods and my body feels better, but, and I, and that's another thing I wanted to focus on. How did I feel versus how, how did I look or what was that number on the scale? So to answer your question, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a monkey on my back. I can never really fully get away from it, but I'm, at least I told myself, let's change the relationship to it. Mm-hmm. Let's not do it in an unhealthy way. And I think you brought up such an interesting point or it's something that I've experienced a lot that kind of like you, all that messaging you internalize and it turns into your own mm-hmm. inner talk. Mm-hmm because I have also struggled with an eating disorder probably when I was a teenager. And in fact, I remember the exact moment that I, that flip switched in my brain. And I do remember the second I was grew up in Southern California. So there was always, you know, the, the hot fit girls in the summer. And I was like, okay, fine. But I was really young. And then I went to go visit my dad's family here in North Carolina. My parents didn't come with me. They just put me on a plane. And so I think I mentioned earlier that my mom's relationship with food from her mother was very different. And my mom didn't want to talk about any of it with me. Like she, her rationale that we've talked about now is like, I didn't want to put any of that on you. But I think when I was younger, I kind of saw the way she behaved around the food and it, she didn't have to say anything for me to understand something was off about that relationship. So it was already primed in that way. But it come out a lot of my dad's family is not just overweight, but probably obese. And I remember my cousin's husband was like talking about how he'd gone to the doctor and the doctor was like, you need to seriously lose weight because your heart is impacted. And if you don't, you may not see your kids graduate high school or college. And we were down at Myrtle Beach and I just remember him laughing and eating this giant like seven layer chocolate cake. And it mortified me, right? Because I was like, sir, you, you're you laughing off advice. 
regardless of the craziness that the medical profession is, which we'll jump into later. But I, I don't know. I was standing on the beach and I remember looking out at the water and I'm like, you will not look like your dad's family. You will not do this. And I came home and that's when I started restricting. And I think that was eighth grade. And by sophomore year of high school, I was really fully into like restrictive eating, anorexia, overworking out. And very lucky, had supportive parents who my mother found me a therapist, which is a good, this person (laughs) said she specialized in eating disorders. And I would say she fucked me up a little bit more. Like she... Mm in some ways made it better, but made it worse. And I mean, along that of not eating and trying to, I had really, I can't see my body the way other people see it. Like I just, when someone's like, oh, you have a beautiful face. And I'm like, okay, thank you for the compliment. I do mean that, but also I'm immediately like, how can they say that my chin is this, or this is this Mm -hmm. way, or like, my breasts are too big or my butt's too big and just kind of you know I may not restrictive eating anymore so I may not be quote-unquote cured from anorexia but still dealing with the mental as said like when you see a number when the numbers were obsessive calorie counting right because you had to be within 1200 calories and if you wanted to lose weight it had to be less than that when I panic about my weight or how I look that's where my mind immediately jumps to of like how do we do that so changing that relationship to food and your body and your weight is almost a lifelong journey and it takes a lot of work to to not jump to the unhealthy way of dealing it in the first place so yeah it's so interesting what you said uh the compliment of oh you have such a pretty face resonates so much with with me and I think a lot of women who are bigger or are in in the plus size community that's the compliment that we hear pretty much exclusively or have heard pretty much exclusively and it's it's always it's like a backhanded compliment because it's like you have a pretty face but that's all that's pretty about you and you'd be so much prettier if you were skinnier so it's something that the more we talk about I hope people become more aware of and I think a lot of people would say it not realizing how hurtful it can be and come across to people and I know for me like my when I was younger my people would always tell my mom like oh your daughter's so pretty you should think about you know doing child modeling with her or something and she I think I didn't realize it until I was much older but she decided to just ignore the the people who were telling her to consider that and just let me be me and be a kid. And I think I didn't realize how much that saved me from a, from a, a life that I could have gone down a much more dangerous path. And the modeling industry has changed a lot and has become more accepting of bigger women. But, you know, growing up, that wasn't the case. So went off on a little bit of a tangent but anyway <laughs> no Christine I want to say something to what you said about the backhanded compliments because mm-hmm. I actually I feel like I want to challenge anyone that uses those as compliments there to me those mm-hmm. are also they're insulting you twice if you really think about it because the 4a I've gotten that compliment and this is a completely different conversation and I'm not going to mm-hmm. unravel that all of yarn but I got this guy told me one time in a class he was a white boy and he said, you're pretty for a black girl. And it, and I thought about it. First of all, you just said to me, like, 
compared to a white woman, you would not be quite considered attractive. And secondly, he said, black people are not con- conventionally attractive, but for you, you look a bit a little bit better. So I've always heard that too. And then I've heard the when people you know are trying to compliment a, a plus size woman, oh you're you're pretty for a big girl. I'm like, well, you're not really complimenting her because you're just. You didn't really say anything, actually. That, that actually, I would feel that's actually a slap in the face because it's right. like, you know, so I just, to anyone listening to that, please don't ever say that and think that you're complimenting somebody because right. you're not. <laughs> and for those who have gotten that compliment, I say with air quotes, you're don't not alone. That. Yeah, because it's like, oh, hey, you're pretty, but caveat, asterisk, small print. And you're like, this is why? <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's like you've just undid it. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't have said anything. Yeah. We would have been in a better place had you just not. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for sharing your stories about those. I definitely think it'll be helpful to listeners. Maybe not feel so alone. It is, you know, quite a. It's quite a journey, and I do say journey because it does last quite a long time. And if anyone has figured out how to just reflip that switch in your brain, mm. please let us know. Either send us a comment on social media and just tell us how to fix it because guys it needs to change (laughs) yeah I think something I've come to terms with at this point in my life is I'm realizing that I'm never going to reach a finish line like I may work through something and heal Mm -hmm. myself in 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 a way that needs to be healed but that there's always going to be something else to work on and while that's very daunting (laughs) and exhausting I think it's helped me immensely accepting that and accepting my body. I think what, before we started this, this conversation today, Traveris brought up the idea of body acceptance rather than body positivity. And ever since she said that, it has stuck with me and it has rung true and has helped me a lot. So thank you, Traveris. Of course, of course. I do have a question. Um, sure. Not only for you too, Christine and Alexandra, but the, to the people listening, I have a question. I'm trying to like still form it in my mind. So if you don't, like if you want me to clarify, please let me know. What would your goal, like maybe goal weight, goal body, goal figure, what would that mean for you? So a lot of times when someone is trying to achieve something, they think that the tangible, whether it's a number on the scale, a size in the back of the pants, is, is that what there's after? But it's never about that it's about how you're going to feel about yourself so what would your goal mean to you if you don't want to share that's completely fine but I would like to ask that because it's kind of I feel like in this conversation the the idea of weight is kind of like money people Mm -hmm. want a lot of money but it's not just money they want Mm -hmm. they want power they want influence they want to be able to take a Mm -hmm. vacation so like for Mm -hmm. your goal what would that mean to you what would what would change about your life or how you view yourself Okay, I'm going to jump in with an answer because I feel a little bit like Hermione in the Harry Potter books. It's like, ooh, ooh, me, me. And I can say this because over the past year, my answer to your question, I've really thought about it. It's really changed. Because in early high school, freshman, I was down to, I think, a size zero in one place, which I know we're going to talk about sizing in a minute. But I still hated my body. Like, I hated it. I thought my thighs were still too big. You know, there was still flab behind my bra strap. So I was the size, I was quote unquote the weight, but it didn't, 
it didn't make me happy. It didn't make me feel good. So I'll say this, like right now, my goal weight is 126 pounds, roughly a size four. I'm not beholden to that. I'm more beholden to how I feel. Do I look like I'm 126 pounds? Cool. I could be heavier because muscle's heavier. But what I want to feel when I'm there is I want to see the image of my body in my mind reflected externally. And I want to feel happy. I want to feel comfortable in my skin. I want to feel comfortable in what I wear. I want to feel confident. And I know that takes a lot of work outside of just working on what you eat and your weight. It's a lot of working on becoming happy and accepting your body. And I love what Javier said about instead of body positivity, because that's almost like slapping a bandaid on it, right? It's like you go from, oh, I hate myself. I hate myself. Well, I guess I, <clears throat> I really love myself. You say with like an angry face. And it's like, I think Traveris helped me one time when I was like, I hate this part of myself, but I feel like I can't say that. And she's like, say that self, say that to yourself in the mirror. Because when you acknowledge that you dislike or hate a part of your body, it turns into acceptance. And from that place, you can eventually work on beginning to love yourself. And this is definitely not something that happens overnight. <laughs> yes, that does not happen overnight. I have always, I think, been afraid to put in, to think about a number on the scale or the size I'm wearing. So I've never allowed myself, as I've gotten older, I've never sort of leaned into that way of thinking. I'm mostly, for me, my goal is to feel good in my skin, which is a uh, really easy thing to say, but it's very complicated. It takes a lot to get to that point, but to be able to move my body, feel strong, be able to be present in moments with my family, with friends, and feel confident. Like Alex said, that's a lot of, a lot of work goes into that and uh, for me I'm on the re I'm in the rebuilding phase coming off of 2023 and my self-confidence taking quite a bit of a nosedive but yeah I think that's that's my goal is to just feel good in my skin and be able to move my body at whatever size it may be some days like mm -hmm. I look at myself now and some days I'm really feeling myself and I think ooh, I look and feel great and then some days I just want to curl up <laughs> and not get out of bed, and that's okay. And I, I think to the point about the like body positivity, positivity it can be very fleeting. So I like, I really like the word acceptance because that that's a multi-step process. Because you can look in the mirror and you can say you love yourself even though you don't, and then eventually that can turn into resentment. But if you take the steps to know you want to work towards self-love and you look in the mirror and say okay today I accept myself for who I am and where I'm at then tomorrow it might be a little easier so I, I think that answers your question yeah. but <laughs> thank you I'm, thank you yeah I'm hopeful to hear from those listening as well what their goals are so I know Traveris you had shared a quote with us for this episode and it was nothing as good as skinny feels what how would you say that fits in with the answer to your question well i was actually watching something once and it was you know how like you're like watching something on youtube and they suggest something else to you and this woman she was doing a ted talk and she was a recovering anorexic and she said that quote nothing tastes as good as skinny feels 
And it just really made me think of how we are willing to put our bodies through literal torture, like to just ignore bodies, just basic body functions to fit into something and to fit a standard that you might not have even created for yourself, but all those diets we get on and we always look at, Mm -hmm. okay, I can't have that donut or I would really like another piece of chicken, but how are you going to feel tomorrow when you can't put yourself in your jeans or something? So that's why I asked, what are we all doing this for? Is it really worth it? Is it really, at the end of the day, is it true? Do you feel it's true that nothing really feels, nothing tastes as good as the end of your, the end goal for you? So that's why I kind of posed mm-hmm. that question. Like, is it even worth it? Like when you think about what you put yourself through to get you, because you said something very interesting, Alexander. You said, I did all that. I got to the goal and I still wasn't happy. I still didn't like it. I, nothing really ever changed because I still found yeah. something to say, hey, I don't like this part. I got the, I got it, but there's that but again. <laughs> there's that dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, then that's, it's definitely true, right? Because it's, and I think I've come to that point. Think about it. Like, if an eating disorder, we can kind of associate to an addiction. Because I think in some ways it is addictive behavior, right? It's like addictive to the restriction. It's addictive to the binging in short periods of time. It's addictive to binging and expelling that from your body. Or it's an addiction to healthy eating, which is a newer one that I've seen come up more frequently. But food is the one thing we really can't get away from, right? It's not like alcohol. It's not like smoking or drugs. You can't not eat because you have to eat for your body to function. Mm -hmm. So it is a very interesting relationship with food. If you're trying to recover from an eating disorder, have a better relationship with food and saying, I want that piece of cake because I want it. But do I want it because I'm emotionally eating or because I will really enjoy the piece of cake? Mm -hmm. And so it's it's a lot of mental acrobatics just to just to eat a piece of food. (laughs) Well, also, too, to Traveris's point, it's. It's expensive to eat healthy here in America, mm. and I would really love at in, in future time to talk to somebody or multiple people who live in other parts of the world who just the standards of of food here is there's parts of the world where th- that's poison and that that they don't even allow that. So I think you know we also have this this handicap of we don't really have access to the to food that is truly safe for us to consume. So like the no matter how how much we want to eat healthy, it's the, it's very difficult to do so here affordably. And I think, you know, my my family's gone to to the extent of even growing some food. They they have a backyard and they set up a garden. So like, you know, just growing growing their own food and and seeing the difference between like I I've seen how celery looks at the grocery store versus my mom grew uh, celery a few uh, years ago and it was kind of mind-blowing to see what like natural growing celery looks like versus what's in the store and the taste right Mm -hmm. and it's like I recently saw something on social media of course that it was like it's funny when you start eating we call it real food like food that's grown on a tree in a ground on a bush on a plant 
and you eat that and people see it on your plate, they automatically go, oh, you must be on a diet. And you're like, no, I'm just trying to fuel my body with nutritionally rich food. Mm -hmm. And so that right there is another form of judgment people come across when you start to try to eat better for your body. Oh, you're, you're on a diet. Oh, how sad for you. And something that keeps slipping my mind that I do want to bring up is I know we've talked about predominantly women, but men, it is very underreported in men, how many struggle with eating disorders and what Traveris was saying about how eating disorders in black women are underreported. I'd be very curious to know what the statistic is for black men with eating disorders as compared to white men and black and white women. Also, I want to bring up a point that you just said, Alexandra, about men. I have a friend, she competitively, like, I don't know, like weightlifts where they, Mm -hmm. they grow muscle and then they're like in spandex and they can, she does it. She just, I don't know, I'm fascinated by it. And she was one day telling me how she was getting ready for some competition and she was telling me what she ate. And I was like, like, that's like an eating disorder. She's like, yeah. That's what it is. She's like, you're signing up for that. Like, that's your, this is literally what you're doing. She's like, this is a disorder. And then you're like packing muscle onto it. And I was like, and she's a woman and that's a predominantly male activity. So it got me to thinking the same thing. Like, like if she's doing it and you know, so are other men. So, so are men. And they're probably having the same responses to like, you know, I got to be this way. I got to gain this um, um, amount of muscle. But they may not look at it like, because again, the poster child is a skinny white girl. So if you're a man and you're in the gym, like, oh, I'm burly, I can lift uh, X pounds, you probably don't think you're quali- you're qualified to have an eating disorder. But eating like <laughs> five ounces of chicken a day and then like lifting that, that can't be that can't be safe. No, yeah. So it's interesting that you're talking about body size and weights and metrics and so that brings us, I think, nicely into the third section of today's episode, which we're going to talk about clothing sizes and body size labels. So I remember, I think I've seen it a couple times on social media come up, and it was a woman putting, I think, size four, size two pants down on top of each other. And like, they were so many different sizes. And I was like, well, this is also part of the problem, because you go into one store and you're a size X. Mm -hmm. You go into another store, you're four sizes larger. And you're like, how can I go from feeling great to feeling like shit in the same moment because of piece of clothing? Right. (laughs) So, and I think earlier, Christine, you were talking about you order clothes online. So if you want to share some of that. Yeah. I, for a long time, it wasn't, I would say it wasn't until college that I feel like I felt like I could fully embrace my sense of style in, in the clothes I wore because for the longest time I felt like there was nowhere that I couldn't walk, I couldn't go to the mall and walk to a store and feel good about myself because either what they had in my size, like that fit me, I can't, I feel silly saying in my size because what the heck is that? But you know, it was a struggle to walk into a store and you know I just I just would go in with the expectation of like I'm not going to try anything on because nothing's going to fit me so yeah I've I've gotten to a point I exclusively shop online especially now that I'm a size 18 for the most part in most store in most stores that carry that sizing but yeah I also think it's a reflection on 
the fashion industry as a whole, the fast fashion industry, the waste that comes out of it, and the thought that, you know, hundreds of years ago, you would go and have your clothes tailor-made to you. And so it, it would fit you properly, whereas I could get something that technically fits me. It technically can sit on my body, but it doesn't feel <laughs> like it fits me for, for one reason or another. <laughs> and, and I would like to say it also... So now you have two numbers to worry about, like mm-hmm. the number on the scale and then the number that you go in the to buy. And it's like, like you just said, Christine, like people will be like, well, technically this fits me. A lot of women will have pressure to be like, well, at, at you know, Old Navy, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a 14 or I have to fit into mm-hmm. like they try to put themselves in stuff that might not necessarily fit because the number corresponds with the number that they consider themselves as. And my grandma has this, she says this thing and I think she, I think she genuinely believes this. And I just, I think it's kind of funny because I'm like, grandma, let's just be honest. Like she tells us, she's like, I wear a size 14, 16 feels comfortable. So I get an 18 just in case. And my mom was like, you just wear a size 18. She's like, she's like, just say that. And she's like, no, I'm a size 14. And we're like, you're not. Because if you can wear an 18, you're not a size 14. Like, that's like, that's like not how it works. And it's something that yeah. constantly plays in my head. The Devil Wears Prada is one of my favorite mm-hmm. movies. And it, it, that's a movie that touches a lot on eating mm-hmm. disorders and body image. And I remember when Anne Hathaway's character goes into like the cafeteria and she's actually buying food and all the other women have like nothing in their hands and they and then another thing they had 15 minutes to eat who's eating anything in 15 minutes and she (laughs) asks the guy she's like does any of the do any of the girls here eat anything and he said not since four came the new two and two came the new zero and Mm -hmm. she says well I'm a size six and he's like yeah which is the new 14 so Mm -hmm. it's like sizes also come with this oh you're that like kind of like on uh, Mean Girls when she was like we only carry sizes zero one and something and she's like well if you're you need a size five you can just head over to Sears or something it's just like there's this like (laughs) there's this oh you're that size oh that's in the back or yeah one time my cousin worked at a prom dress store and this woman walked in and she said where are the elephant dresses and my cousin was like the what and she's like the elephant dresses and she's like I don't know what you're talking about and she's like the one this the dresses for a plus size woman and she had like this this I'm like that is awful <laughs> like why would you say that to anybody but in her mind she probably had felt like or was made to feel like I'm bigger so this is where this is how I am to be you know talked to or talked about well that yeah it's interesting because that just made me think of elephant is I have an hourglass shape and technically my body frame is petite I do have a bit of weight on me, so not so, pe- like, my frame is still petite, but my body not so much. But I've always had larger boobs, so if I want nice-fitting, tailored clothing, I usually have to get a size up so it covers the boobs without, like, splaying open and splitting a button and then tailoring down for my waist and everything, which is difficult because it's, yeah, fast fashion waist, which I'm sure could be a topic all on its own. But it's just, yeah, it's funny what you're saying, the elephant, but that made me think of the word curvy. So I have an hourglass shape and a lot of the poster child for like white women in fashion is not hourglass. It is a straight woman, like just straight, no curves. 
And so I felt so pressured to have to wear the same styles and it never really looks good on me. And I didn't know how to dress for an hourglass. And then people would say the word curvy, which I kind of hated when they say hourglass and curvy because then it always became curvy plus size women. And so just the word curvy, I have weird associations with, but it's so interesting that the language we use to express and explain something can morph into something else for somebody. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And then just going thinking back on, on sizing again, a few years ago, back in college was when I was first introduced to the sizing for women with like, say like 16 with the letter W next to it. And I didn't real, and I always was just like, oh, okay. And then I later learned that that was for plus size women. And then I always, no one told me what the W stood for. I was like, what the hell is this W? And I was talking to a coworker, like a couple, like the first year or two after I graduated college, I was like, oh yeah. And I I said, in my mind, I associated it with wide because it's for plus size women. It stands for woman. That's what the industry defines that W as. So 18W is 18 woman. And it's like, it just was like, what? I, I <laughs> was so taken aback by that. And it, it was, I noticed it for brands in like department stores. So in Macy's, there's a whole section where I know you can go and get sizes of from like 14 to 20, whatever with that and the W. And I was like, okay. And it's gotten to a point where I only really shop at one store or buy clothing from one brand because I don't want to have to struggle with being one size in this brand and this another and and, and just because it's inconvenient. Yeah, it's almost like you have to become a detective just to figure out what fits you. Exactly. Can we talk about dressing rooms for a moment? Because they are the bane of my existence. Mm -hmm. I still don't like dressing rooms, have it for a very long time. Because first of all, the mirror in there doesn't seem to be a normal mirror. I feel it's always like a fun house mirror. I just see all my flaws, but that may just be the way my brain works. But then they're so hot. And I'm somebody who doesn't like to be warm. Mm-hmm. So you're trying on clothes. So you're moving your body at a closed space. So you're getting warm. And then it's warm. And then I'm like, I'm done. I just want to leave. The only place where I have felt semi-comfortable in a dressing room, and I don't necessarily shop from there anymore because I have sort of not liked the quality of the clothing in the last several years, but Torrid, there was a a location in a mall near where I lived, and it was the first time I went in and felt excited to be shopping in a store that I knew had my size, that I had plenty of choices, and the dressing rooms were bigger, and there was a fan that you can set at different speeds. So it made the experience semi more enjoyable because yeah, you get hot. You're taking, it's, it's, it's exercise. <laughs> You're taking on off and on different layers of clothing. So yeah, it's just a hard experience for anyone I think to find enjoyable. Wow. So we've covered a lot of ground. This is part one of a two part conversation and what a whirlwind it has been today. We covered a lot from body image and health, eating disorders, particularly in women, and ended on the crazy U.S. clothing sizing for women. Somebody make that make sense. Tune back in next week as we dig more into our experiences with the medical professions and our health, our hopes for the future as it comes to body image and health, and the role that we think social media can play in bringing that about. We look forward to welcoming back our guest, Traveris, and we'll catch you next week.
enjoying the conversations we're having and the topics we're discussing? Consider supporting us through our Buy Us a Coffee page. We greatly appreciate any help in creating this podcast we love so much. Link in our show notes and link tree. Before we end, don't forget to like, subscribe, or follow us on your preferred listening platforms, and we'll catch you next time.